Hello and welcome to B2B Better, a podcast for B2B professionals looking to be better than boring with their marketing. My name's Jason. I've spent the last 10 years building content, social, and communication plans to help B2B companies hit their brand and revenue goals. Every week, I break down the strategies and tactics that you should be thinking about in a fun-sized, actionable chunks, usually with an expert from the field. This is real advice for B2B professionals who want to be better. Let's go. So hello, Josh. Welcome to B2B Better. How are you doing today? Jason, it's awesome to be here. I love your work. I'm a big fan of your Twitter account. And I will say that I'm pretty jealous of the podcast name because B2B Better was a tagline that I thought our team came up with once upon a time as an internal mantra. And then I discovered your podcast and was like, ah, he got it first. This is when you realize that I've put little cameras around your office and I've been I've been following you for a while. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, it's great. I appreciate that. It was a it, it took a long time to get to that name and I'll be honest, I'll give I'll give credit where credit's due. My wife actually came up with it after me having ripped my hair out, you know, walking her through a hundred different ideas and she goes, "Why not just talk call it B2B better? That's what you're trying to do, right?" Um so credit, you know, Chloe, thank you. I love you very much. <laughs> Cheers. Nice. So uh, today we're going to be talking a little bit about Clubhouse and what it is and the ramifications of it, um, how B2B marketers can be using it. Um, But before we get into that, why don't you tell us a little bit about you, your journey, um, and uh, the agency that you're a founder of called Sculpt. Tell Tell us a little bit about that. Well, that's right. I'm the founder CEO of Sculpt and Sculpt is a B2B focused social media agency. So our entire business is helping B2B brands, um, mid to large size companies in tech, industrial services, help them reach their customers, inspire their advocates, convert into opportunities, close business through social media. So our entire team is built around paid and organic social campaigns Uh, from strategy through execution. And that's pretty much all we've done for eight years. So it's everything that I think about and something that is extremely relevant for today's conversation. 100%. And I I think this is so interesting. When I was doing some digging into you and to Sculpt before this episode, um, social media within B2B, I'd love to get your thoughts on this, uh, has been an unloved channel in my experience, you know, having worked for a decade uh, in enterprise B2B technology. Um, SaaS is a little bit different, uh, but coming from these kind of big corporate uh, B2B organizations, social media has always been seen as something that needs to be done, a checklist item, but it's very much a channel to talk at our potential customers. Mm. Hey, we've got a press release that we should that you should be reading. We've hired this new person that you should be talking to. We've launched this new product. Um, right, at, corporate comms. Exactly. And for me, it feels like there's a shift starting to occur. Are you seeing that as well um, in the broader B2B space? Yeah, especially with platforms and like you know, the clubhouses of the world, but more specifically LinkedIn, the rise of LinkedIn has really led way to B2B social, not just being a corporate managed channel, but something where for a long, long time, I think the big paradigm shift is we need to control the communication of our employees, our workforce, our people who can damage our reputation. And I think the big shift has been 
actually there are advocates and we need to empower them and encourage them and help them build their own brands and communicate and distribute our content. So I think that element has just been a game changer for how B2B social works. I, I really look at social media as those two things separately. There's the media side, which is a lot of companies and B2B especially are really good at using it as a paid channel, as a reach channel. And the social element is is much more difficult to navigate, thinking of it as a connection channel, as a community channel, as a way to, you know, what does a conversation even look like in B2B? The spaces where those things happen are not the traditional channel. So yeah, I think that element has uh, made it complicated, but is it's having a sort of a renaissance era right now. And that segues nicely into what we want to talk about today, which is the rise of Clubhouse and, and to a degree, Twitter spaces, both you know, new audio-only social networks um, that a lot of individuals are using, but you know, scope for brands to start entering that space, and some have started to do that. You know, on these platforms, you can't be that one, you can't have that one-way conversation. You can't just put out a story or put out a release or a message and expect no one to talk back inherently their very nature is to facilitate conversations and that's quite an interesting thing for a brand to be a part of um in your opinion why do you think we're seeing this renaissance why do we think why do you think that we're seeing kind of things like clubhouse and twitter spaces you know start to become more mainstream start to take off i mean we're filming this in march 2021 and i think that context is really helpful because who knows a year from now how we're going to be talking about this space. But right now, it, there's just a human condition, a need to connect, to find new ways of doing things and to fill our time. And I do believe that has been a catalyst for a platform like Clubhouse to, to really take off because people have the, you know, maybe they'll they'll fill that with commute time in the future, where maybe that would be uh, would have been in the the same kind of infectious rise of this channel as you'd see before, but I, I don't think so. I think there's an element here that's unique that I, I call Clubhouse the the first AirPod social network because I really feel like it's it's doing something different, which is enabling you to interact and to be consumed with content while passively listening and doing other things at the same time and yet you're kind of in a, a networking space. It's just a really unique idea that will certainly evolve into something else, but is really the perfect storm of where we're at as a society right now, trying to have these connections, continue to grow in our careers and our lives, uh, seeking human connection, but not getting it in the traditional ways that we had it. You said a moment ago, and I think it was quite right that the context here is important. You know, we're recording this in March of 2021, um, where, you know, parts of the world are slowly starting to come out of the pandemic and we're starting to see some return to normalcy, albeit, you know, quite slowly. Um, I appreciate it's almost impossible to say, look into your crystal ball and tell us where you think we're going to be in a year's time. But do you think it is a fad or, or do you think that platforms like Clubhouse are here to stay and uh, and can benefit B2B brands. We're at the beginning of something important. The, I, what I find really fascinating is when you're in a engaging room on Clubhouse, 
the way that people are talking about it and inevitably in every room, no matter the topic, people talk about why are we here right now talking about this here? How amazing is this? I think the enthusiasm, excitement around it shows that there is something special that hasn't been an, a scratch that hasn't been itched in other places before. I, I strongly feel that when our behavior changes again, as things open up, as we seek connection in different ways, we're, we're going to maybe spend less time uh, doing the things that we're doing today that, that keep us occupied, which one of them is clubhouse while we're, uh, you know, before we go to bed or when we're, you know, uh, on Twitter at the same time or in, in some of the areas that we're, we're now going to fill that, we might find a new way to uh, connect that Clubhouse won't be around to do. But it's so obviously onto something important that it's right now, the short-term opportunity is that money and time and attention is going there. And as people build a network somewhere, they don't want to give it up that easily. And I, I think what we have seen is, in a lot of platforms that have been a fad, they really took off overnight. And I can think of so many in the last, you know, nine, 10 years in social media marketing of, you know, huge rising stars from Peach to Vero to all sorts of fun ones that are fun to reflect on. But the thing is, you didn't really add a lot of data there. People didn't really invest in it seriously. There were lots of downloads, but not a lot of usage and retention. And at least for now, there's intent retention. People are building up connections and audiences here, and that's going to be really hard to give up. What, um, why, why would a B2B brand consider using a platform like Clubhouse? And I guess a follow-up question to that would be, should they as a brand be using Clubhouse or rather empowering the people that work for that organization to grow their own personal profiles on Clubhouse and benefit from that halo effect? It's probably more of the second, but the interesting thing is B2B is so broad, as we know, and your listeners come from all different backgrounds. And B2B can mean a solo practitioner that's selling consulting services to someone else or a startup or small service provider. You know, our agency isn't very large, so we're technically in that in that camp. But then you get all the way to the enterprise scale, large companies who their logos won't make sense on Clubhouse, but their team is already there inevitably. And so I think what we are looking at is a different usage for different size B2B companies, but value for all of them because the dwell time is so significant. People spend a significant amount of time there. The, the challenge, I think, even as a social media practitioner, I recognize is Social media content is just, you know, we we use this delightful word that it's snackable, which means that we're just getting these small interactions in front of people telling a quick story. And that's great, except, and it certainly can build a brand association, an impression that is memorable, but it doesn't really move someone along a customer journey very easily because it's just one quick snippet, one quick story. And the difference that you get is where we talk about engagement as a click or a like or a comment in, in social traditional feed-based channels, the clubhouse type engagement is someone 
truly actively listening or even passively listening, but then having a conversation back, like that is just an unheard of level of uh, engagement that is meaningful to a company. So I think at a small scale for the, the companies that have more control, because I think the difference between a small and a large B2B company is just the marketing function is how much do you control versus how much just kind of happens on its own. And in a small company or a startup, I think Clubhouse and these channels are an opportunity to gain an edge right now. It's your chance to build authority, to move someone through that customer journey by building up you know, your authority and in, in sharing information in a way that uh, you can stand out when you don't have the search engine placement, when you don't have the traditional forms of brand recognition. It's a chance to gain an edge. Uh, to appeal to the other early adopters that like what you're talking about. But large companies, they they really don't need that edge. What they really need is uh, the values that Clubhouse gives you of listening to the market. So what is the conversations or sentiment around a certain topic? It gives you the ability potentially to recruit and to attract talent because you can show people behind the scenes or use your people to represent your company and your culture. It gives you opportunity to engage a customer, talk about your product and really listen to people about it. So I think it, the use cases are different, but the values there for each of them. There was a lot of great stuff there that I'd like to I'd like to unpack. I mean, I think what you were talking about in terms of gaining that competitive edge is is so relevant and so appropriate um, because you know when you're competing for keywords, you know it's it's often a race at the bottom, right? It's how much money can you can you throw at the problem um, to to kind of win that attention. But when you've got a platform like Clubhouse where you can you know, everyone, all CEOs want to be considered thought leaders, right? And they're pressing their marketing teams to go out there and win them thought leadership opportunities um, in traditional media. You can remove that that middle person now, right? You don't need to rely on a trade journalist to profile your, your CEO or your chief technology officer or whoever so that they can demonstrate their expertise. You can set an account on Clubhouse you can start a room on a hot button topic of the day. You can invite all your clients, your prospects, um, the media that you would have reached out to anyway, and you can start having that conversation on your own terms. And as you said, the competition there, whilst the platform's grown phenomenally, obviously in the last, you know, particularly the last three months, I think they added five million or so people in the in, in, in the first couple of months of this year. It's wild. Um, wild, right? The with the competition being so low, you've got an opportunity to establish yourself as a, as a big fish in a small pond because once it starts gaining, I still feel like Clubhouse is a little bit on on the fringes and, and pe- there are people that are real advocates for it and really invested in it and building out their audiences, but it still hasn't reached that tipping point perhaps where brands are looking at it seriously as, a, as, a, as an activation channel where if you get in there now and you build that audience, you build that expectation that, hey, such and such is on Clubhouse every week. And if I want to know anything about my industry, I need to be tuning in and listening to them talk. That that wave is going to come at some point and you want to be ahead of it. Well, you know, what's interesting too is there's a potential that right now, 
is the best time and later isn't as good at all for certain brands. It could be that right now what we're seeing as you have, you know, while it's a little bit bubbly, what you kind of get in the early waves of a new social network and one that's especially uh, full of like a, a dense network of connected, you know, uh, high quality, so to speak, audience for certain industries is you're going to get people with a captive, uh, a captive audience of really interesting people that you might want to be reaching right now. And I'm already seeing signs of this as the platform evolves. My feed, the, the hallway, so to speak, in clubhouse terms, is starting to get really hard to find the good stuff. And they're going to figure out their you know, search and discovery eventually. But what you're starting to see is it, as it gets more uh, broad and generic and opens up for everyone, there's going to be enormous opportunity for a greater number of people. But for a specific group of people that can make inroads right now and be the early adopter early on uh, and reach an audience that's active there, I think there is something about when a platform matures, how people begin to uh, wean off it and maybe for certain groups like right now is a better time than later so i want to take a little break in proceedings quickly to highlight the fact that josh and the team over at sculpt are currently hiring they're looking for a senior social media strategist and a digital engagement manager i'm going to be dropping the links to both of those job descriptions in the uh, description of this episode highly recommend that you check it out if you're looking for uh, a new gig in b2b social media um, they've worked with some amazing clients to date, including Pearson, Collective Data, uh, Midwest One Bank. I think anyone who's interested in building brand and content social media strategies from the ground up, pitching campaigns to decision makers, working with a really fun and engaged team to make it happen, and just you know immersing themselves in, in social media management and engagement, it's well worth checking out the job descriptions uh, if you're currently looking for a new gig. So as I say, I'll drop the links in the description of this episode, check it out, and obviously reach out to Josh uh, on Twitter or LinkedIn if you've got any questions. Thanks. I want to talk a little bit about um, return on investment um, and proving that to an executive team, um, because particularly in the kind of the, the, the companies that that I've worked for in the past, where you know marketing is not necessarily seen as a kind of core function uh, of the business, something that's necessary, sure, but not something that's going to drive revenue. You're constantly under the gun to prove that what it is that you're spending is going to deliver results. And those results typically come in the form of leads and commercial opportunities and how can we arm the sales the sales team. Um, and I would imagine in your world, which is building out the kind of social media strategies for B2B companies, proving that ROI is super, super important. Because like you said, you know, particularly if you're working on like long sales cycles, no one's going to see a LinkedIn post and be like, I need to buy that multi-million dollar solution tomorrow, right? It's a much longer process. So you need, how would, how would you go about giving evidence on the ROI of using a platform like Clubhouse if you had a skeptical CEO uh, sitting across from you? I mean, as far as I know, no one's built a Zapier connection between Clubhouse and Salesforce yet. So we are all <laughs> kind of making it up as we go along. Uh, 
but I wouldn't be surprised when, when somehow that, that comes around. I, this is the, the tricky part that we're all aware of. And, and full disclosure, I'm not a clubhouse influencer. I, I am, as I am for all things, a student of social media, an observer, a strategist. So I'm, I'm looking at behavior and we're trying to apply it for clients and I'm experimenting on our own, but I'm not going to pretend like we have achieved massive success there. I, I still know how to advise people on it though. And the way that we're looking at it, I mean, there's of course the traditional views of what is a sponsorship worth? Because in one way is that B2B companies are inevitably going to build up a bigger presence on Clubhouse and use it is as a sponsorship, whether they're moderating their own discussion and they're driving traffic from their, you know, their database, their email lists, their social, own social to Clubhouse. That's going to be one of the main ways people do it. And I mean, what is the value of that? I think if you're Salesforce and you're hosting Dreamforce, as an example, and you know the value of getting all these people in the same room talking under the guidance of kind of your brand, then it's a natural fit. And you're not going to be extremely worried about the individual ROI of each room as much as maybe looking at some metric of how many of these you've done and about how many people have attended. And if you can find any way to trace back customers that have uh, referenced this, B2B people, uh, companies are, are so good at finding ways to <laughs> find a measurement for it. Maybe they're looking at transcripts of calls and gong or something and trying to find people referencing clubhouse. Like I am sure that people will find a way to do it that way with mm. real data and measurement. But the truth is there's no real attribution for now. The, because the ways that people are doing it outside of the sponsorship route of how many people have attended sort of like the high level metrics are you're looking at, I guess you can see what the, the coaching rooms that there's really, I, I don't advocate for this stuff, but there are groups of people who have very much and very well figured out how to monetize on clubhouse. And what they're doing is they're building up a great audience on the platform and then they're just like any other thing, sending people off to links that they can track came from Clubhouse to DMs that they're asking you to send with a specific message. You know, you can have people, maybe you, you can have people all search for something and look at the brand search volume lift or something like I, there's different ways of maybe sending people to special offers that I think will be good for the direct response marketer. And that's the way I would look at it. If you're kind of looking for, hey, well, let's get someone to jump on something quick, just like a webinar would at the end. But if you're looking at it from you know brand metrics and for just overall awareness, it's really, really difficult, I think, to do and probably not the way that I would recommend uh, trying to approach it at, at large. What, um, what do you, you think? You what do I think? Um, I think there is a huge misconception um, outside of marketing teams in in B2B organizations that every activity needs to have uh, direct attribution to revenue-based goals, um, aka everything needs to kind of lead to a lead or a marketing qualified lead or something like that. 
And um, I think that brand building and brand development um, has a lot of power, particularly over the long term. And the best way to build a brand is to demonstrate authority and to tell stories, um, things that will get people to, to remember you. And particularly from, from my world, which is, as I mentioned, kind of like large-scale enterprise B2B, where sales cycles are incredibly long, but the windows of opportunity to make sales is very small, mm-hmm. um, you know, because once, once the customer's made the decision of who they're going to go with, that's it for the next De- half decade, decade, or until someone right. gets fired. <laughs> so that you know, coming from that, coming at it from that position as a marketer, you know, you got you got two two roads in front of you. One, it is just a constant barrage of marketing communications to the market in the hopes that you hit the right person at the right time, or it is developing your your brand authority and your brand equity so that when that buyer is ready to buy. They are coming to you because they remember you. They know who you are, and they know exactly what it is that you do. Um, and this is also especially important for organisations that do more than one thing. So, if you've got like a professional services organisation, um, or you've got a technology company, an enterprise technology company that's operating across a load of different sectors, um, across a load of different verticals, um, th- the more you can do to get people to come to you, the better. Um, and the more successful you're going to be uh, in the in the long term, and the more opportunities you're going to capture. So that's why I I, I get excited about things like Clubhouse, because um, Clubhouse is a platform where you can, as I mentioned, remove that conventional middleman of kind of trade media who typically have been seeing the gatekeepers of building up brand authority or event or event partners, um, uh, where you know you're you're, you're spending. Uh, four digit five digit figures on a kind of a keynote panel um and you can just have those direct conversations like with your audience bring a customer on do a fireside chat that you would have spent 20 grand sponsoring an event for um and do it in in a clubhouse setting and you know have that added benefit of audiences being able to engage back with you it's not just a one-way thing like if you you write a written case study and someone reads it that's great but the, the the limit of what they can learn is based on what you tell them. If you do a, a clubhouse case study, then you can, um, they, they can dive in, they can ask questions. Um, you, the customer that you're, you're trying to highlight can go deeper than they perhaps would go in a written, in a written case study. And all of this is to say that in terms of ROI, you know, I would, it, it's almost like a bit of a leap of faith, you know, um, you, you, you invest in the platform, you give it, the six months, the 12 months that it really needs to build something, you know, to build momentum, to build an audience. And then, you know, you, as you said, B2B marketers, you, 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 you find a way to attribute um, and you determine, uh, you determine what's the best way to do that later down the line. Uh, it just feels to me like the platform now is so hot and there's such a big opportunity there. You can't get too strung up for too long on, you know, trying to, figure out the optimal way of measuring the success right now get on the platform you'll you'll quickly get a feel when you've done three or four rooms that no one's attended to whether this is right for you um but you know kind of figure out the attribution as you go along to some degree so i guess that's that's how i i look at it right now yeah here here yeah yeah it makes sense you um 
you, you, you've spoken a little bit about how, how brands can use it. I want to talk a little bit about how kind of individuals working within organizations can use Clubhouse and how those organizations can support their employees um, in building their own profiles. Because I know that you do a lot of training over at Scalp. Is that right? Yeah. And we're only now, of course, starting to get the requests for how much time should we allocate per person to be on Clubhouse, which isn't a question that is easily answered, I think. I mean, we've put some benchmarks or guesses behind this stuff, but you know, a lot of the training we do is typically around the, the process of building an audience and navigating the feeds on LinkedIn about connection building and executive social and ghostwriting, you know, things that are more mainstream corporate social channels that uh, broken down to the individual make a lot of sense because it's kind of a version of the same playbook. Uh, Clubhouse is, yeah, it's something we're figuring out right now how to train for it because it's, it is a very different mechanism of supporting your team, right? It's very different to, you know, running like a press briefing, you know, and doing a, where you have some degree of control. I mean, at the moment, we're considering using using Clubhouse at the company that I I work for, um, Delta Tray. And in fact, we've got our first one um, organized for, for two weeks from now. Um, and, uh, you know, one of my concerns as someone that wants to be in control of the message is making sure that everyone stays on message. And uh, when you're in this kind of free-flowing environment where you have unknowns kind of coming up onto stage and, engaging with you um that can kind of throw up any question that's a that's a scary prospect for for a marketer or for a leadership team but um yeah i mean what would be your kind of advice there for for, for me or for anyone else that's listening to this that's thinking about putting their execs up on on clubhouse what can we do to prepare them you know it seems like the there have really been two types of execs that have made a big splash on clubhouse that I think are worth pointing to as examples, which again, you're not going to be able to control all of this, but it's just worth noting that one of them is always going to feel a little bit different than the other. So as an example, you have people like, you know, Elon Musk, of course, but as well as, uh, people like, uh, uh, Adam from Instagram, uh, Morosi. who, yes. Yeah. Uh, who are just, so themselves authentic, open in rooms you wouldn't expect that are just absolutely laying it all out there and building trust with the public and fielding questions and, and running that themselves. And I think that takes a level of both discipline and personal accountability, but, it, but it just, it's a, a specific culture, like a value of, Hey, I'm going to be open. And then there's, the slightly more scripted uh, Bill Gates type uh, CEOs who have joined Clubhouse and participate. And I mean, this is only the largest companies because obviously lots of execs on, on Clubhouse, but just as frame of reference for the enterprise segment. I think he also did a great job at building uh, you know, getting people interested and, and having people show up because we don't get access to someone like him very often. But I, my, the feedback that it seemed to come out of his conversations were that they seemed a little bit too on message. And Clubhouse is one of those places where it's, 
it's not a press release. It's not a press conference. It's very much a, you know, panel unconference discussion. It's but it's a little you can run them very professionally. And moderators really are like the superstars of Clubhouse. And that's one of the tips we should get to. But the person interacting needs to really feel okay being honest, open, off message. And and that's not going to be for everyone. So I think it's more so just tempering your expectations when you do bring someone in like that. It's okay if that's more comfortable for you to answer these seven questions and to do it in a way that you feel like you've, you're going to say the right thing to the right people. But there's so much that's unpredictable too. And that's not what people are really seeking when they jump onto a clubhouse room. You have to be aware that uh, the, I think the, the language uh, or the culture of clubhouse is one to uh, lay it all out there and, and be speaking to people. Oh, um, John, uh, is it Legere? Man, so bad with the names here. The, from the former T-Mobile CEO, as an example, yeah. he's very active on clubhouse also. He's all over the place. And he's always been someone that I think has very been a very public facing CEO on social media, but look at the way he interacts and, and engages and sits and is patient and answers questions and speaks very honestly. I, I think that's what people are coming to expect. And so all I could really ask for people training their execs is to have them join rooms for two hours, you know, have them navigate the app for a period of time totally unfiltered. They don't have to speak unless they are invited to a room by someone they know, but just to see what it's like before they talk so that you're, I think, getting a, uh, a better snapshot of what the, the standard mode of communication is. It's very different to a panel at an event where you take kind of two or three questions at the end, one of which is a plant of your marketing manager asking you something favorable. Um, it's that authenticity. It kind of reminds me a little bit of TikTok to some degree um, in the sense of, you know, unless you're willing to kind of embrace the unwritten rules of the platform um, in terms of how people create content and engage with one another, as you say, it's just going to come across as inauthentic as if you're trying to run a press conference. And that's not what people are on Clubhouse for. They're on there to have conversations, to have real conversations and ask real questions. Um, and that's a, that's a really scary, I think, concept. I can imagine like founders or CEOs listening to this, which is like, you know, oh, so you're telling me that I've got to get on there and basically you're sending me into the wolves, right? Because anyone could ask me any time, anything at any time. Uh, and I think you mentioned there the kind of the moderators being the superstars of of clubhouse rooms. Completely. Let's talk, let's talk about that a little bit. What kind of makes a good moderator and, and by extension, a good clubhouse room? The, the best part about talking about that skill set is that it's already well known and understood by people because it, it's the same one that you would, the same kind of person you would hire to MC your event, to run the panel for you. I They do really, really well on Clubhouse also. No surprise, good podcasts, uh, hosts are seemingly doing pretty good on Clubhouse too because there is a a component of understanding how to run and structure the conversation. That's one big part. 
probably the, the biggest one that people are not used to when they first jump on, and I've been guilty of this too, is letting people speak too long. Because what you forget in the purpose of this is that, that it's a live conversation with a big room of people where you cannot see their faces, at least in a, in a live conference. When someone is dragging on too long, you can kind of start to gauge that the audience is drifting away. Everyone's checking their phones. They're starting to walk out. You don't get that really. Maybe a little bit of the analytics of people leaving, but you don't really see the the same reaction. So what you have to have is someone with the intuition to recognize that this is going to be off topic and to politely cut somebody off and to manage the expectations before someone speaks. Like there's it's impressive the the speaker etiquette that's already been developed and well understood. Hopefully that continues and people in live events too, how they know, hey, when you come up, you're gonna say my question is, you're not gonna get into a whole needless background. And if you are, I'm gonna cut you off real quick and remind you to get back on topic because it's really for the audience more than it is for this group of speakers up there. And I think that's a good practice to have. And for an exec that's going to go on here, but wants to be careful about their message or wants to be a part of something useful. It's all about having a, doesn't even need to be a company moderator because the best moderators on clubhouse seem to be a specific group of people who just do that. Like that's become their job. And they, don't need to be a part of the com- company. They just need to know what the goal of the conversation is and how to make it inviting and when to move on to the next topic. Mm. Yeah. Like you, like you say, the, the kind of the etiquette that's come out of clubhouse so quickly is, is really quite astounding. I mean, just for anyone who's listening to this and maybe hasn't spent too much time on the platform as of yet, I mean, give us three or four tips. You know, you're entering a room for the first time. Um, you want to engage. You want to be part of the conversation. You know, what is that etiquette? What should they know? Most of the etiquette is around the speakers themselves. And there's a well-understood culture of muting when you're not being asked to speak around uh, just coming in. One positive things I think people could know as tips are remembering to, because some of these rooms have lots of speakers, remembering to say your name after you stop speaking. So anyway, that's my point. And this was Josh over here with the red photo. You know, I think that's just a useful thing to do that helps people identify who was the one talking. It can be kind of hard to follow. Otherwise the other is you get right to the point. And I, I think the, the most important ones that we should probably address are just about having inclusive welcoming rooms that even if you kind of have a more funny, topic or one that's going to be more entertainment. So people are going to be rude by nature, like having a, having a diverse cast of speakers and moderators is so, so important because that app um, compared to others on, on, I think most you'd expect from most social apps are not so much grouped, Mm -hmm. you know, tribally with uh, a bunch of sameness. I think there's, there's a lot of uh, respect around how we make every topic, you know, interesting to 
a wide group of people and also that it's generally just good etiquette in life to have diverse panels and rooms and and conversations and while i don't think that's perfect and i think a lot of people would react to this and say that there's plenty of room to grow there and it's become i think when you're making the playbook for how we're going to do our conversation like it would look just as bad as you having a all white male panel today in person. You know, that same philosophy applies on clubhouse. You have to be really careful. Quick example. I, I, my, our agency is based in Iowa in the Midwest, mm -hmm. in the U S and uh, I, while we're pretty remote, we still have a, our main office there. So I stay in touch with Iowa things and there's an Iowa startup ecosystem room that's been going every Friday morning. And the first one they did was kind of this fun, like, Hey, we're all on clubhouse. Now let's all talk to each other, people from across that state. And it just quickly, it was recognized. It was called out by someone how, uh, white that room was in terms of the, the speakers we, they didn't do the, the moderators, and the host didn't do a good enough job anticipating that optically mm -hmm. uh, didn't look good. And for the benefit of trying to advance tech in the state, it's especially not good. And so now every room since then, every week, has had a diverse group of moderators and people bringing their own community. And I think that's just as always good practice, but especially something people are mindful of on Clubhouse now that you should be too. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think, you know, coming back to the moderator, uh, some of the best rooms that I've been in, you've had moderators who at every opportunity are inviting people to come up on stage and to kind of share their questions and share their opinions. And the best ones are the, I mean, it's a lot, right? Like if you are an introvert to get up in a room, you know, that's got several hundred people listening to it, it's no different really to getting up on stage at a physical show in a room full of people and saying your piece. And that can be a really nerve wracking experience. So um, yeah, the best room, some of the best rooms that I've been in or the best moderators that I've engaged with just do a phenomenal job in helping people feel welcome. And there are no stupid questions and uh, you know, you should get up here and, and, and say your piece, uh, making everyone feel welcome. Um, and I guess it kind of goes back to, you know, the moderator being these superstars um, and how they kind of control the ebb and the flow of the room. Yeah, completely. Uh, I think there's so many individual tips. This probably isn't like the tactical clubhouse guide podcast episode because <laughs> someone else could give that and talk about what PTR means and how to set, you know, avatars that are relevant in the memes and the shoot your shots and all the fun language that's come out of that. But it is something easy to understand once you've experienced it. I wish they made getting that experience easy because I don't think universally people in my life that have joined Clubhouse have had the same like positive experience mm. of discovering all this cool stuff that uh, that I have. And so I worry sometimes for clients that are signing up that they are kind of getting a, a weird view of it too. But it's... Uh, very much based on following an interesting group of people than seeing the things that they were interested in. Um, I, yeah. So it, room it, to grow. 
it was easier at the beginning i felt when when i first started because i got onto it maybe in like august september of last year still when it was relatively quiet back then they were hosting rooms all the time which were about onboarding new users and here is the kind of etiquette and i still see a few of them from time to time they still do that twice a week yeah yeah hundreds of people are attending um i see but um, the person who did it for me was the person who who gave me the invite, um, and it was almost part of the the culture, right? Like if you invite someone onto the platform, then you should onboard them onto the platform and run that room with them yeah. and teach them the etiquette, um, which is which I'm not sure happens to, to such a great degree anymore. That, I mean, that kind of sounds like a business model of its own, like being invited and then having a guided tour of the the platform. Just because I I do I don't think that even though that was built into the product, like your friends get invited or get notified so that they can welcome you in with a personal tour. I think that idea worked well in principle. I've not had like a ton of great experiences like that recently, especially as you're getting notifications all the time of people joining, but it is, you know, someone's opportunity to do that well. Absolutely. So Josh, um, final question before I let you go. Uh, Obviously, uh, it is uh, a, a very volatile period still with with the pandemic um, and uh, a lot more budget in my experience coming from, as I mentioned, an enterprise B2B world that primarily went over to kind of running events is moving into the digital world. I'm sure you are riding that wave very successfully right now. What's your take in terms of the next big social media trend um, it could be maybe Clubhouse, but looking over the next twelve months, if if we if we if we do an episode two of this, uh, what would you be saying is going to be the biggest the biggest social media trend of twenty twenty one? You know, right now, what's been very front of mind for for more of our clients and for more of our prospects than the the shiny new app which will eventually become a bigger deal is just this broader conversation around activating your employees controlling their content strategy or at least empowering it and influencing it just this idea that instead of the one to many view of corporate social media which one person usually runs and owns and isn't responsible for now thinking of the many to many approach of you have dozens, hundreds, or thousands, or tens of thousands of employees that all can be customer facing, can be recruitment tools. And with channels like LinkedIn being very, very creator focused this year, especially that's all of their languages around. Now you're a a LinkedIn creator, which they're adopting as all platforms do as they see personal brands grow and the tools and, you know, the algorithm is very much favored for personal brands and content sharing from profiles. And so that shift is the bigger shift. Is it a trend? You know, I think the trend is companies probably Googling employee advocacy, social selling, and those things, and then trying to find and shoehorn in solutions to do it tools that allow you to make it easier to make content that people can share or playbooks and strategy resources and toolkits, whatever that can enable people to have the 
resources and training they need to be successful. There's, there's kind of in that world, I guess, a top tier of your employees that are always the mouthpiece for your company that are the most willing to do it. You're that for your company, as an example, like you're out there, you're representing the company. Well, they, they probably internally talk about how do we get more Jason's, right? That's probably something (laughs) they talk about all the time. That might be one of your tests. And the truth is you can maybe get like the next tier of people, you know, the next 30% or so to do a little bit more without looking robotic, but just closing that gap more and more and more, giving more content or making it more uh, easier to share after years and years of shutting people off from social media. Everyone's kind of releasing that now, uh, opening the, the floodgates. I'd say that's probably the bigger thing that we're trying to tackle and that we're thinking about this year. We have to get you on a future episode to talk about employee advocacy because yeah. uh, on on the uh, in the Twitterverse, I, I read about it all the time and I'm talking about it with people all the time. And I'm sure the listeners of this podcast would hugely benefit from from your insight on how do we just get started, right? Because as you say, for years, social media has been seen as a risk by organizations and we want to control how our employees are using it increasingly that is going to become harder and harder and harder because people aren't going to want to work for organizations that if they're trying to build their personal brand are holding them back. So from a retention point of view, it's going to be become an issue, but also from, you know, that's the, that's the negative. The positive is you've got tens, dozens, you've got dozens, hundreds, thousands of potential salespeople out there who can sell without even thinking they're selling your organization. And, you know, how do, how do we just get started? Um, so we have to get you on a future episode to talk about that. I'd love it. Great. So Josh, tell us a little bit about where people can follow more, uh, follow you more and, uh, continue learning from you. Well, on Dispo, I am at social. (laughs) I don't know if I'm uh, if that, that'll be the real test is if we're still talking about Dispo the next time I'm, I come on. Yeah. Uh, but I am everywhere else on the internet. I'm J H K R A K and where we are sculpt.com. And we are hiring really actively for social strategists and engagement managers, like client facing people. So I'd love to meet more of your podcast listeners. Awesome. All right, Josh. This has been great. I've really enjoyed this. Um, And uh, yeah, thanks very much for, for joining me today on B2B Better. Thanks. And that's it for this episode of B2B Better. If you found it useful, go ahead and leave a rating, a review, or just shoot me a DM on Twitter telling me so. It will make my day. You can find me at Jason R. Bradwell. Also, why not check out my weekly newsletter, The B2B Byte, where I break down marketing strategies and tactics for B2B leaders into fun size, actionable chunks. You can find the link in the description of this episode. If you've got any questions or there is a burning topic that you'd like to hear me talk about on B2B Better, or you'd like to appear on an episode, you can connect with me on Twitter or find me on LinkedIn. See you next time. Okay, final thing before I let you all go. I know a lot of my listeners work in the startup world. There is a new podcast that I've been listening to uh, that I just have to do a shout out for. Um, They are called Startup Angels. The podcast, Startup Angels, if you don't know, is a global community of startups, entrepreneurs, and investors who share knowledge, networks, and opportunities. Uh, They do a great podcast. They put out an episode uh, every week or so, um, and they cover a range of different subjects, growth hacking, remote working, 
investing. So if you are interested at all in the startup world, I highly recommend you check them out. Um, I will drop a couple of links uh, to a few of my favorite episodes in the description of this one. So check them out, Startup Angels, the podcast. Thanks.